invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. When I was a kid, this happened frequently. The teacher would stop teaching and look out at me and say, Kevin, would you like to share that with the rest of the class? (laughs) Anybody else have that happen to you in school? Uh, Yeah. I think every one of us has been caught talking in class once in a while. Well, this morning we're going to talk about talking in church. Oh, all right. This is part one. We're going to take chapter 14, and I, I'm praying that I'll be able to get through in two, two lessons, two sessions, looking at talking in church. You need to understand the background here. Corinth was a very paganistic city. Uh, it, the paganism we've talked about before as we've gone through this book had infiltrated the church. It was a very pagan church. It was a very sinful church. There were excesses in the moral area of morals, excesses in worship, excesses in everything that had happened in the culture. It had been brought into the church. And we've looked at uh, Paul teaching them about immorality and teaching them about worship and teaching about the Lord's Supper. And in this section, he teaches on the issue of tongues in the church. Now, in chapter 14, my conviction is that Paul is not encouraging the practice of the gift of tongues. He's trying to address... Uh, an abuse of the gift of tongues here. Someone said that Corinth as a church rivaled Babel in their confusion. Think about that. This was a church that had been so worldly and so confused and chaotic in their worship that Paul has to write this one strong, firm chapter. And he writes it in the tone of sarcasm to let them know that what they're doing is not appropriate. One scholar said the Corinthian church was a wreck says, to attempt to build a theology of tongues from the book of 1 Corinthians is like trying to build a ship by looking at wreckage. (laughs) So some people do take chapter 14, they take this whole book, and they teach the theology of tongues, the gift of tongues. And and most scholars, well, I won't say most, scholars that I follow, okay? The ones of my conviction and my my tradition believe that what Paul is doing is he's, he's addressing abuses and not teaching this is the way to do it. Someone said that this whole passage is just the analysis of a shipwreck. So with that in mind, are you all ready to jump into this? Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Paul begins with this phrase. And by the way, I may do a little bit different this morning. I'm going to stop and comment as we go through, I think, before we get to our application. So just stay with me. Pursue love. Go after love. Reach after love. Make that your preeminent goal because chapter 13 was about love, remember? Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. Or I believe that that gift is the gift of proclamation. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So Paul is writing in verse 2. By the way, um, when he uses the word tongue singular... I believe that he's referring to a counterfeit gift in that culture, a pagan a counterfeit that's come into the church. And when he speaks of tongues plural, I believe he's speaking of languages. So we'll look at that. So he's saying in verse 2, someone who speaks in this counterfeit tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And some scholars believe that there's no, with no definite article in front of God, that that should read speaks to a God. And that would be the carryover from paganism. I'm not sure about that, but there's some food for thought there. Verse 3, but the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So he's saying if the person proclaims, if they're speaking in a language that people can understand, there's edification there. Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That's an important phrase. 
One who speaks in this, this, some translations say unknown tongue, what I believe this counterfeit pagan tongue that had infiltrated the church, they edify themselves, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. And Paul is just saying there that if God should desire that everybody have this gift, that'd be fine with me. But the gift of prophecy is one that's going to edify and build up the church, and I would rather it be that way. And if someone does speak in tongues, again, the, the plural there, in languages, then the church that will be interpreted and the church will be edified. By the way, my conviction is that the gift of tongues, biblically, is the gift of languages. Glosa, the word for tongue, means language. And if you, if you go through the book of Acts, you will find... The, all the occurrences there, beginning at Pentecost, the gift of tongues was to communicate the gospel to someone who did not speak the language. And you follow through the book of Acts, and that's the way the gift of tongues was practiced. It was a language in order to communicate truth or a sign from God to those people who did not believe. Now, where was I? I knew I would do this. I just knew that would happen. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues... What will it profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Now, he says, I, I need to come to you in a way that it's going to build you up. Now, look at verse 7. Again, he, Paul is using sarcasm here, and he really drives the point home with this illustration. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So he's saying, look, let's look at these, these objects that we use in worship. Let's look at these instruments. If they don't make a clear sound, people don't understand it as music. It's just noise. He talked about that clanging cymbal in chapter 11, in chapter 13, didn't he? It's just noise. For, for uh, verse 9, so also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Just making noise is what they were doing in Corinth. Just making noise. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world. And, there, and no kind is without meaning. In other words, language is language because it has meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of a language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. And the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. In that culture, if you didn't speak Greek, you were a barbarian. And Paul says, if you'd be somebody of another language, and if I didn't speak clearly, you wouldn't understand me, I would not understand you. Verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Do you see a common theme in here? He's talking about edification, building up, encouraging the church. Therefore, verse 13, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And he's describing their type of practice there where they disengaged the mind and it was all just, in, in some have called it just gibberish or babble. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the mind also. There was, a, there was an understanding there that in order to have this heavenly language, you just disengage your mind. And then God's going to take over and you'll have this unknown tongue. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? 
In other words, if someone comes into your assembly and you're practicing this gift that isn't a language, that's a gift that some have called a heavenly language, or you're practicing what I would call a counterfeit gift that came in from paganism. If someone comes in, they're not going to understand what you're saying. They're not going to be able to say amen to what you said because amen means, that's right, I agree, so be it. Do you know what that's what amen meant? They won't be able to say I agree with that. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. More than you all. Oh, he's, he's from Texas. You all. More than you all. I miss that. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, let's try to make some application here, okay? This is one of those passages where I get out my commentaries and I get out my study guides and I try to discern and look at the language and see. And the three scholars that I really follow, all of them disagree in different points on this passage. I said, great, Lord. Here, I thought we were going to have some common denominator here. But there is a common truth in all three of those perspectives. By the way, those are all three conservative, godly men. I follow their ministry. I believe uh, what they teach. And they all have disagreements as to what this passage is. Some of the details of this passage, but the heart of it is true. Paul is addressing the abuse there. Now, I need to share with you that I have friends who practice what they call a private prayer language. They've told me, Pastor, God gives me this language when I pray, and it means a lot to me. And my response to them is, I don't understand that. I haven't experienced that. My conviction is that that's not what Paul's talking about here. So if that's you, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just going to tell you what I understand the teaching of Scripture is, all right? So we're going to look at that. I don't believe he's saying in chapter 14 that there is, a, there is an unknown language out there, a special gift that God gives people other than the gift of languages. God did not give what some have called ecstatic speech or the speech of ecstasy and then give the, speech, give the gift of languages. Tongues through the Bible, through the New Testament, is always the gift of languages. So I believe again in chapter 14 when Paul uses the word tongues, or excuse me, tongue, the singular, he's talking about a counterfeit that had come into the church. Now, I think that my three scholars would agree on these five points, okay? And Lord willing, we can see the truth in all of these. Number one, spiritual gifts should edify the whole congregation. Spiritual gifts should edify the whole congregation. That word edify just means to build up. Remember another place Paul said that that pride puffs up, but love builds up? This is to build up or to edify. Spiritual gifts will build up the whole congregation. See, it's the issue of of edification versus exhibitionism. And I think in chapter chapter 14, Paul is addressing an issue in the church where the people were all about exhibitionism. It was all about me. It was all about what I can say and pay attention to what I've done or said. And that's all. And the church wasn't being built up. So when he mentions prophecy, or if in the, the chapter before that, he mentions the other gifts like teaching and, and administration and, and helps and mercy, Paul is saying that those gifts are to build up the church. They are tools that God uses, that God gives us in order to build up his body. They're not adornments that we can hang like a gold medal. Have you all seen the medals this year at the Olympics? Who came up with that? Man, if I'd worked all my life to get a gold medal and got that kind of mod, whatever it is, I'd be disappointed. But anyway, the spiritual gifts aren't those medals you hang on you to say, look at me, I've said this or I've done this or I've practiced that and I'm a very spiritual Christian. By the way, in Corinth, that's what they were saying. 
I am the spiritual elite because I've had this experience. Spiritual gifts are not about that. Spiritual gifts are given to the body to build up the body. It's about others. It's not about us. Yesterday, we had our winter Texan brunch. We met over in the gym and uh, had a great time. We do that once a year, and it's just our church's gift to the winter Texans. Had a great time of fellowship and meal. While we were standing in the foyer, uh, people were coming in, and someone walked in, and their shoe was untied. And they were about to trip, and they just stopped, and one of our ladies reached over and tied her shoe for her. And somebody said, that's the body in action. I said, it is. Nobody said, what are you doing? You don't need to be tying her shoe here. That's weird. Just, it was just obvious, here's a person with a need, and somebody decided I'm going to serve that person and tie their shoe. By the way, y'all can do that to me anytime. All right? There is something about my shoes. I keep leaving them untied. Uh, so you, you can stop me, and I'll tie it myself. But if you want to tie it, you can do that. But here's what I saw. And I agree, that is a perfect illustration of the body in action. There's a need, and someone says, I'm going to meet that need. I'll get down on my knees and get my knees dirty, or I'll get on my knees and hurt my knees. That hurts, doesn't it? Man, I'm so glad we have padded carpet in here to kneel on. I prayed for that. All those years over in that gym, I said, Lord, it's going to be so good to have padded carpet to kneel on. Some people just say, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get on my knees and do ministry. That's building up the body. Whatever your gift is, leadership, teaching, administration, mercy, serving, helps, um, proclamation, giving, craftsmanship, creative communication. Anyway, the list, there's, that's, that's pretty much it. Whatever your gift is, God gave you that gift to build up the body. Not to say, look at me. Great job. Aren't I wonderful? By the way, those of us on the platform every, every week, that is a constant prayer of ours that we don't make this about us. The worship team meets here and practices on Thursday night and they get down on their knees right here and they pray and they say, God, we want this to be about you and not us. The choir meets every week and practices and they end up right over here in prayer, in prayer huddles, praying, God, this is all about you and not about us. I pray every week, Lord, I want this to be about you and not about me. Spiritual gifts are to be about the body, not about us. And I'm way on into my outline, so, man. Number two, let's fill in the blanks anyway. Spiritual gifts are not for our own personal benefit. Spiritual gifts, whatever the gift, and Paul mentions prophecy here and tongues here, spiritual gifts are not for our own personal benefit. Look at verse 4 with me. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. One who has embraced this counterfeit gift that's coming from pagan culture edifies himself, not the Lord. Some have called the gift of tongues, as, as Paul addresses it in the church at Corinth there, was a self-styled language. I like that. Some that, that they had made up themselves to copy paganism. One scholar says, because of the extreme carnality in the church at Corinth, we can be sure that much of the tongue speaking there was counterfeit because they were fleshly, worldly Christians. They were baby Christians and they had embraced paganism. Spiritual gifts is not about our own personal benefit. I have a good friend who was, uh, who was born and raised in Thailand. It's interesting now I've gotten to go back to Thailand to do a mission trip. But he was born and raised in Thailand when he was a teenager, I believe. 
he came to America to get a better life and was adopted by an American family. And while he was over here, uh, God spoke to his heart and he accepted Christ as his personal Savior. By the way, he did it by reading the Bible all by himself. And he read the red letters. His testimony was he knew in Thailand red was important in his Asian culture. So he said he didn't know anything but to do but to read the red letters. And he read the red letters and he opened his heart to Christ. Walked in a church and the pastor talked about giving your heart to Christ. And he said, that's what I did. And and came and made that public and was baptized and began to follow the Lord. And and got involved in a group that practiced this kind of tongues that Paul talks about in chapter 14. And he got involved in that. and, And after a while, he started listening to the group. By the way, what many groups do is they all talk at the same time. If, if you, if, even if you believe that this was a biblical gift, Paul is saying you don't do it that way anyway, right? It's to be, it's to be one at a time. Anyway, they were all talking and he got to listening to it. He said, I've heard that before. I've heard that sound. I've heard those phrases. I've heard that before. It just kept racking his brain. Where have I heard that before? And it dawned on him. Growing up in Thailand, he heard the Buddhist monks pray in that very same way. Isn't that interesting? That's what happened in Corinth. The pagans were doing this thing and the believers heard it and it sounded spiritual. And so they said, that's a good thing. They're talking to their gods. Let's use that to talk to our gods. And they brought it into their worship. Self-made language that edifies and builds up us. It is not for our own personal benefit. Those gifts are for others. Number three, the counterfeit tongues that Paul is addressing here say, it's all about me. Counterfeit tongues say it's all about me, edifying himself. See, if you look at the pagan worship in Corinth, it was all about emotionalism. It was all about self-gratification. It was all about the individual. If you go to the church at Corinth and you open up 1 Corinthians and you begin to read about the church, you know what it's all about? It was all about the individual. It was all about exhibitionism. It was all about uh, making a name for yourself. And Paul spends already, we've looked at 13 chapters, addressing those abuses. And tongues is just one more way. And it's interesting, he spends a whole chapter on it. Tongues was just one more way, this counterfeit tongues, of saying it's all about me. I've got this gift. I bet you wish you had it. By the way, some say... I've got this gift, I wish you had it, and I'll teach you how to get it. I've seen booklets, seven ways to speak in tongues, or seven steps to speaking in tongues. Actually, I think it was about four or five steps, but anyway, steps that you're to take. And one of those steps that I read about was to put your mind in neutral. And then just begin to to repeat some phrases, and then God will take over. See, when I put my mind in neutral, the temptation is not for God to take over. Temptations for the enemy to get in there and to twist and distort. And then it becomes all about me. By the way, one of my concerns about the uh, charismatic movement in some Pentecostalism, this is not everybody, but it's one of my concerns about that movement, is it, it, it claims that if you haven't had the gift like they have, you haven't arrived yet. It's a spiritual elitism. It's a superiority that, you know, you're a great Christian, you're following the Lord, you love it, but until you get it like I've got it, You really don't know what it's all about. That's one of my concerns. It's all about me. We've had people come to our church. Well, I've pastored three churches now, all three churches. And they come to the pastor, the minister of music, and they say, I'm a soloist. I sing. You need to use me. 
Or, I have a gift, and you need to hear my gift. You need to let your congregation hear me bless you. We get calls all the time for people wanting to do that. And our first, our first red flag is, are you here to promote yourself or to promote the Lord? We, we have a policy here. We've been able to, to, to do this for years. That if you want to be a soloist, you need to be involved in the whole music ministry of the church. You need to be a part of what's going on and be a team player. And then as God gives you opportunity, then that will happen. But it's not all about you. See, sometimes we get up here and it becomes all about me. Be careful. Number four. It's kind of redundant. I've already said all this. But number four. Counterfeit gifts are useless. Counterfeit tongues are useless. Now, how do I know that? Look at verse 7. We're going to look at verse 7 and 8 and 9. Or uh, 7 and 8. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction of the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? If the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? Verse 9, so also you, unless you utter by a a tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? You will be speaking into the air. This counterfeit, this talk that they said God had given them as a separate language, there really wasn't a language. And we know it wasn't a language because it had no meaning. And Paul says it's not a language, it's just nothing, it's just air. It's just noise you're making, like a cymbal, or like a bugle, or like a harp with no tone. Useless. By the way, any message that can't be comprehended is really a useless message. Somebody says, have you communicated that? Whatever. We talk about stuff in leadership all the time. And I, I say, well, I, I told everybody that. I said that. Well, if they didn't hear it, I haven't communicated it. See, sometimes I feel like that happens on Sunday morning. I'm in here speaking one language and y'all are not hearing that language. See, communication takes place when the language has meaning. And Paul says that counterfeit gift was useless because there was no meaning to it. It was, it was not effective to build up the body. By the way, he mentions the mystery there. They, they cling to that mystery. I forgot what verse it's in. Um, feel free to tell me if you find it before I do. Verse 2, thank you. Two points for whoever did that. That's great. I don't know what two points will get you, but... For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. There there are two kinds of references to mysteries in the Bible. One is the kind of mystery that the Bible speaks of, the mystery of the gospel. And what that means is this was a truth that was once hidden that has now been revealed. That's a mystery of the gospel. So when Paul talks about the mystery of the cross, the mystery of the gospel, he's saying that was a truth that was once hidden, it's now been revealed. Then there are other kind of mysteries that, that I believe he's referring to there in paganism. That mystery was something that's hidden and secretive and mystical, and you'll never know it. Because it's a mystery. And Paul says when you have this counterfeit tongue, there's that mystery out there. And, and the people at Corinth were clinging to that. That nobody could understand it, so it must have been from God. Because it was different. And it made us feel good. And I'd say, be careful about that. Be careful about that. Number five. Communication of truth is God's top priority. 
Communication of truth is God's top priority. Through this whole passage, Paul is repetitive. He's talking about proclamation, the gift of prophecy. He's talking about edifying, building up. He's talking about meaning and understanding. And then he wraps it up in verse 19. Look at that with me. Verse 19. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, there's the singular. He's referring to the counterfeit. Here, here, it's interesting. Paul says, I'd rather speak five words with my mind. The implication there is those people practicing that gift were just disengaging their minds, embracing that pagan practice. I'd rather speak five words, intelligible, understandable, meaningful, meaningful words, like Jesus loves me. Yeah. <laughs> then 10,000 words that, that only God can understand. Or then maybe the angels know. By the way, 10,000 in Greek was the biggest number they could write. And it was often used to refer to a number that was beyond measure. So Paul could be saying here, I'd rather say five words you can understand than talk endlessly. Communication of God's truth is what's important. That's why he mentions prophecy, proclaiming over and over and over again in this passage. Again, my conviction is that the gift of tongues was a gift of languages. It was used for the purpose of evangelism, for communicating the gospel to an unbeliever who didn't understand that language. I read an account this week of a church in Houston that had gone on a mission trip, and one of their kids, it, it was a mission trip to Native Americans, and one of their kids was trying to share the gospel with a Native American boy and having trouble communicating. And this person sharing the gospel said a few words that didn't know what they were. And the Native American boy looked at him and said, you just spoke to me in Cherokee. Where did you get that? See, that's the gift of languages. Communicating the gospel in a language the person can understand. Before I wrap up, let me just say this. There are people in this congregation who've come to me and say, Pastor, I disagree with you on that one. And I say, that's fine. You're welcome here. That's just not going to be the practice of this church. So you need to be affirmed, okay, if that's you and you don't agree with me on the, my interpretation of these passages, you're still welcome here, okay? It's just not what we're going to do here at Coastal Oaks. I tell my one-on-one class, we are not a charismatic church. And I say, if you know what that means, you understand me. If you don't know what that means, you don't have to worry about it, Okay? <laughs> tell you what, I have a hard enough time communicating truth in my own native language. My prayer is not God give me another language, but God help me with the one you gave me. I love the story about an office building of federal employees and trash begin to pile up outside of the building. And the people who pile it up there just assumed the guys that take the garbage away would take it, and they didn't take it. So after the first garbage pickup and it didn't pick, get picked up, they wrote a sign on it that said, garbage. And then the next garbage pickup came by and it didn't get taken away. And then they said, well, maybe we need to make it stronger. So they made another sign that said, garbage, please take this away. And nothing happened again. Finally, 
In red felt tip, they wrote, this is rubbish, this is refuge, this is garbage, take it away. Still, they missed another trash pickup, and it's piling up. They finally caught one of those guys and said, why won't you pick this up? And he said this, because it wasn't labeled trash. (laughs) And our job description says we're to pick up trash. Now, that's miscommunication, isn't it? God help us as we communicate with one another to communicate truth in a way that we will understand it the way that it will be understood by those who need Christ as Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to try to unpack truth from a difficult passage. And Lord, our prayer is, no matter where we stand on this issue, as a church, we would be committed to proclaiming the truth. Lord, we would be committed to taking the gospel to unbelievers in such a way where they will understand clearly that Jesus died for them. Lord, I pray that all the talk that goes on in this church would be talk about you, about the cross, and about the need for a Savior. God, we ask that during this time of commitment, you would have your way with us. As you've spoken to hearts, I pray that we would respond in obedience.